Next Chapter Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of Midnight Public Radio. I'm your host, Ari Wood. This week and every week, we explore a single theme through a variety of stories. This week, a theme that's been with humankind for almost our entire existence. That is war. Many have asked what it's good for, huh, etc. However, no matter how brutal warfare might be, it always brings out the humanity of the people involved. Unless, of course, it brings out the inhumanity of the people involved. This week, we will bring you a variety of stories covering wars big, small, known, unknown, far away, and maybe some right around the corner. Before we begin, we have a sponsor this week. There's one thing as American as war, and it's killed nearly as many people. It's probably tobacco products. So we have a very unique tobacco product here for you all today. Sig Hizets, cigarettes for men. That's right, fellas. Finally, when you put that thing between your lips and suck, you can feel like a man. Up first, we're going to go international to take a look at a conflict that is far afield and many Americans may not have heard of, but still brings challenges to the daily lives of the people there. All too often, these things are hidden from our view, but this is the first of two reports that we'll be sharing from NPR's dedicated war correspondent, Robert Soup. Act One, Luckmania in Chaos. This is Robert Soup reporting live from the eastern province of Luckmania, where conflict has broken out between two rival factions, both vying for power after the ignominious collapse of the monarchy. The, the fighting has been brutal over the last few days, and... None seem to be spared, civilian or none. I happened to speak to several recent witnesses to the carnage. One was a school teacher whose entire building was blown to pieces, leaving him comically sitting atop a toilet with his pants around his ankles. This is not how Lockmanian dream is supposed to work. This is not correct. The Lockmanian dream is toilet inside, sky outside. That is what it says on the flag. And I may have only been recent Russian immigrants coming here from Moscow, say, 20 minutes ago. But um, I know that this is wrong. Peace seems unlikely, though, as the left-wing faction seems unwilling to budge on its radical views on how the government should be run. One Madam General Yvonne Iotovich Steen spoke to me about her political convictions that dictate her movement's strong course of action. You see, the problem that we have here is always going to be about the day-to-day stuff. We ha- sure, we have the war, but how are these people going to wash their dishes? Do they have a dishwasher? Why don't they have a dishwasher? If they don't have one, can we get one for them? This is what the people want to hear. Yes, there's war. Yes, there's people dying. Yes, there's all sorts of really bad stuff that's probably more important. But there's a really big stain on half of my corningware, and I'm not sure what to do about it, and I'm sure the people feel the same way. 
However, the leader of the Silver of the Conservative Silver Beagles faction claims that Madam General is just an agent's provocateur sent over from America by Big Appliance. You're joking, Grant. She is clearly from America. She's an American spy. We can see it, we can smell it, we can hear it in her American voice. It's extremely American from here. But she sleeps in a race car bed like all Americans. Mm-hmm. Dirty spies. I, I just went to American school. I went to the school of, um, the school of Harvard, the, the, um, dishwashing school of Harvard. That was undergrad. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of weird that we have the same kind of left-right paradox in this country as well. It's a lot like, uh, uh, it's a lot like a country that I've been to called America. Not one that I'm from, but one that I've been to for school, um, clearly... Full disclosure, the political factions were given their left-right dichotomy by me as these three people were the closest people standing to me. One was to my left, the other to my right, and, of course, the man on the toilet who can be clearly seen by anyone walking through the rubble of this small town. I'm, I'm just here trying to, to push uh, really great uh, concepts and ideas, trying to make everyone's life here better, uh, especially... If you just have such a big family and too many dishes to do, you know, it's it's every person's nightmare, um, including, I mean, it's it's everyone's, every person's nightmare in addition to the actual nightmare, which is uh, war and, and famine and, you know, all the, the, quote, big things, unquote, which we are also addressing, but, you know, it's like uh, broken windows policing, you gotta get the small things first, and then you get the big things, right? I, I learned that in American school as well. Brag. You know, it's always for ulterior motives. I don't trust you. I never have. I never will. You seem so American to me. It's ridiculous. Ugh. Just gets my blood boiling thinking about America. Weeks later, our hapless teacher died of dysentery as disease continues to ravage the war-torn community. Time will tell, however, for which of the rival factions will take supremacy. I only hope I'm not here to see it. From Luckmania's Eastern Province, I'm Robert Soup. We'll have more from Robert Soup in just a bit, reporting on a different kind of conflict. Up next, we have a story of a war from the past. World War II, of course, is one of the most important wars historically, and certainly the one most lodged in the memory of the United States. However, this story celebrates the all-too-overlooked soldiers who made sure the heroes on the front lines could have the victories that we celebrate today. Act Two. An army marches on its stomach. Growing up, I always wanted to learn more about my grandfather's time in the war. I already knew he had been in the war, seen some action, but he had never really gone into detail. He had always sort of kept that to himself. But I figured 
I'm old enough. He's old enough. I think it's about time I heard the story from him. So here I am, sitting with my grandpa. Gramps, say hello to the people. Ah, I thought you were a chair. Nope. I'm your grandson. Ah. Uh, now, you were in uh, World War II. That's correct? Yeah, but back in our day, we called it World War right now. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I get that. Uh, what, what did you do during the war? What was your station? Well, I was with the Soup Boys, of course. With the what? In the Soup Station. Soup Boys! S- soup? Soup Boys! Soup. You're soup? S-O-U-P. Soup. Boys. You're- I was with them. Yeah. What? What? Okay. What does a soup boy... I've never heard of this, honestly. What does a soup boy do? Well, me and the fellas... We got drafted in the war. We didn't want to go, so we figured we'll play it safe. We'll just work with the soup. So all we really did was carry soup and feed it to the people who wanted to fight on the front lines. You know, all the people with the guns and the the weapons. We gave them soup. And then we went in the back and hid. Uh, Okay, you hid. Yeah, oh yeah, we didn't want to get shot. There was a lot of bullets. Yeah, no, I get that. It's a war. Um, it's soup, huh? Yeah, S-O-U. It's hot, but it's also cold. We had a variety. We were the best. And there's a reason America spends so much on their war budget. We had a plethora of soups. Even back then. So you're saying a lot of... You're saying back then a lot of the military budget was soup. Now, I'm not going to say a lot of it, but at least a trillion dollars went to soup. Which I I think we all know back in the 30s and 40s uh, was, uh, I think, more. Now, it was much cheaper back then to get soup, but what really they invested in the thermoses. And a lot of people back then gave us flack because it was Nazi technology that allowed the soups to keep the temperatures. But... Wait, thermoses are Nazi-made? Every scientific advancement in those days pretty much came from the Nazis, whether you want to believe it or not. I hate to say it. I didn't like them. Trust me. I'm your grandfather. I'm black. They weren't fond of me either. I can't believe that's... A real job, Gramps. Neither could we. We were pretty sure we were getting sent out to die. And then they said, well, someone's got to bring the soup out. And me and the fella said, we'll do it. (laughs) And we did. Sometimes we didn't, though. There were a couple days they went hungry because there was way more bullets than usual. We were ambushed and uh, we didn't want nothing to do with that. We figured we would feed the people who got out of it because they probably needed the most. I pissed my pants. Had some soup myself. I want to ask about flavors and types. Did you make one type of soup? Was there... Oh, I didn't make any of the soups. There were chefs to make the soups. We uh, just carried the soup from point A to point B. You know, we would be delivered the thermos. And be told they would just kind of point in the direction. Like, hey, go that way. And give them soup. All right, Grandpa, I'm going to move on and do something else. 
Yeah, all right. Well, I mean, I don't know what you and you do as a chair, but uh, respect to you and uh, your uh, partner. And uh... thanks to highly placed Midnight Gardener's contacts, I was able to secure a deathbed interview with Otto von Bismarck, the inventor of the thermos. Hello? Hello, who is this? What's up? Hello, who is this? Is this Von Chao talking? Uh, no. No, I, why is that a thing? Uh, I am uh, interviewing survivors of the Second World War who specifically were soup boys during the war. Oh, I will not hear this word from you, Chair. This is a disgusting group of boys. The boys... They stole my ideas. They stole your ideas? I thought you worked with the soup boys. Nine. Nine soup boys steal my idea. I, I'm sorry. D- did nine soup boys steal from you or did no soup boys steal from you? Exactly. It was an ambush. It was an ambush. Yeah, they were behind the bush. Jump out. Oh. Terrible. Now, you invented the thermos, uh, a genius invention, if I may say. Uh, Keeps hot things hot, cold things cold. Nothing else does that. Uh, And uh, you're saying these soup boys uh, appropriated your your idea, your materials, your concept to carry out their soup? That day I invent, that day I invent the greatest war effort. To bring the soup to the boys, so they're not so chilly with the chili. He died 30 seconds later when I (laughs) covered him with a pillow. (laughs) Well, I moved on from uh, Mr. Bismarck uh, and luckily found a veteran, like my grandfather, who was a soup boy in the World War uh, II, Junior. Ah, Jesus fucking Christ, I thought you was a fucking chair. Driving me fucking nuts. Holy shit. Uh, whoa, God, it's been so long since somebody wanted to talk to me about my war days. Yeah, yeah, I was a soup boy. I was in the, 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 the uh, chowder keg is what we called ourselves. We exclusively brought New England clam to the, the cream of the crop is what we called it because we would um, go to farms and demand that they give us clam chowder. And then we bring it to our boys out there in the U.S. of A, Army, Air Force, and Navy Corps. No Marines. No Marines got a drop of our chowder. That, that's interesting. Uh, but I would like to recircle to my original question, which was, uh, what was your name? My name's Tommy Bahama. I was originally born in Jamaica, Queens, but then quickly moved to um, White Haven, Boston. And that, you know, that wasn't just a name back then. That was a real way of life. But your president, Franklin Roosevelt, got to change it. I, clam chowder seems very thick and honestly not very conducive to like wartime athletics. You couldn't be more wrong. You I, I, couldn't did, be more wrong. I see. Basically, when you when you're a soup boy, you're a smuggler, and when you're smuggling, you want something that's going to stick to you. You bring you bring them in a strone, you get a couple of bullet holes in your terrine. All of a sudden, you know you got noodles with no liquid. That's not a soup. 
That's a pile of noodles. You gonna bring that to our boys in blue who are in green because it's a war? What was it like, you know, running to the front lines? I mean, you guys had to see some pretty terrible things. How did does it feel to, to make a very unique difference? Well, you know, it's crazy to think that the war just couldn't run without us because, you know, on the other side, there were the, the Japanese miso boys. They're bringing soup all over the place. And, I, you know, I can only marvel at their efficiency. And uh, some people might say that my accent has become distinctly New York all of a sudden. But that is PTSD, Pacific Time Soup Disease. Because ever since I moved to the West Coast, my brain's been fucked. As America moves into a new era of modern warfare, how has Soup Boys changed? Well, mostly they work for Grubhub. Join me next week as we explore more culinary arts in our modern warfare with the Fried Five, napalm-wielding fry cooks in Vietnam. I'm NPR producer Smooth Daddy Eric Leibowitz, We've looked at a current war and a war from the past. Now we will turn to something closer to home. Robert Soup was on hand recently at an old folks home here in the United States when it became an active, shall we say, war zone. What follows is his report recorded on the scene. Act three, from nursing home to combat zone. Coming to you live at whatever time you're listening to this, it's Robert Soup for Midnight Public Radio, here on the scene reporting at Attica Hills Retirement Community, where things have gone a little bit sideways, as it seems. The residents of this quiet community for the over 65 set have turned their bedpans up in anger at the treatment and conditions in this compound controlled tightly by the shadowy mercenary security forces known as Greywater. I want softer pills. My pills are too spiky. You can hear them chanting now. They are making their demands heard. My pills are too spiky. More warm milk. If the milk's not warm, then we will swarm. What do we want? To take a nap. When do we want it? It seems that one of them is uh, shaping up to be the leader of the bunch. He's got a rolled-up newspaper that he's yelling through to communicate out the window above the shallow pool where they all do their little twirly exercise movements. No more gruel. Stop being cruel. No more gruel. We need to be heard. You can't keep treating us like cattle. I know, I used to raise cattle. Now, this was back in the day when you raised cattle like kids, so I nursed them from a babe, but I still cut their heads off and fed them to my kids. Real kids. Anyway, they don't visit me. Another thing you need to fix! Well, let's see if we can get a word in from Nurse Sergeant Thunderboot, head of the... Medical services slash strategic strike team, which keeps these elderly patrons in line. Lieutenant Sergeant Thunderfoot, 
uh, excuse me, miss. Do, do you have a moment? I know it's a, it's a tense, tense situation here, but, but uh, tell us, what, what is your negotiation tactic in this scenario? Well, you know, any time after about 4 p.m., sometimes the elderly get a little crotchety, so if the tapioca doesn't work and the old Western films don't work, we'll probably end up having to do some sort of heavy sedative suppository, and if they don't want to bend over, we don't really care. We're going to administer what we need to administer to get these elderly people calmed the goddamn fuck down, and they think they can put up a fight, but listen... They don't even have real teeth, so when we come knocking, what is it that we're knocking out of their head other than their fucking smooth minds? I'll tell you what it is. Their fucking ear hair. I'm going to clobber these fuckers so hard, the wax in their ears is going to end up falling out of their wrinkled asses. I mean, that's what this team is here for. We got big boots. Our boys are here tip to tail, ready to go. They got AR-15s for these AARP 95-year-old no-ass-having motherfuckers. I mean, we're really hoping to provoke some PTSD because these boys really need to see a little bit of action. If some old folks don't swing it, it just feels like we're shooting fish in a barrel. And we just had catfish for dinner last night. Uh, Sergeant McCullocuddy, come over here and tell me what's your plan to get these old folks to shut the hell up? Nurse, yes, nurse. Uh, our plan is to download the greatest PTSD triggering Spotify playlist that we can find and blast it over the loudspeakers throughout the entire building. Now what type of artists are going to be on this playlist? Because we've dealt some really harsh cards tonight, and I just hope we can trump ourselves. Well, as far as artists, I can't really name any of them. It's more of a just mix, more of a compilation of uh, very jarring noises. War noises. You know, a lot of landmines blowing uh, up. Pardon me, uh, Lieutenant Sergeant Thunder Thunderboot. Uh, it seems that the CEO of Greywater Industries has appeared on site as a sign of solidarity with his heavily armed caregivers. Sir, sir, Mr. Zerghurst, do you have a moment? Why, yes, I do have a moment. This isn't a tense situation at all. What do you can, want? Can you tell us what it was that upset the oatmeal cart, as it were? Okay, first of all, first of all, we don't say the O word around them, okay? It riles them up. They have very low energy as it is. They did upset the oatmeal cart, which is why we don't no. have any food! Back, I say. I'm mainly here to get things under control. There's no reason uh, our, our forces haven't been able to uh, uh, gently no uh, more subdue. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, no sir, please, before you start whirling your feeble legs around, tell us, what would it take to make you go back to your nice cozy bed with a warm glass of tea and perhaps a chat with one of the orderlies before you snoozy up and he loads you full of opium and you, your heart, your weak heart collapses and you just slip off. I haven't been cozy since the Nixon administration. We don't want better living conditions. We want a time machine to take us back. Thunderbolt, get the tasers ready. He's going to lull them into a false sense of security, and we will lull them into a false sense of coma. Wait for it. Taser! <laughs> Thank you.
have a pacemaker so the taser just made me stronger. The movie Iron Man was based on me. Oh, good lord! This experiment's gone completely awry, and not like the loaf. This old man's 50, 60, 100 yards tall! Word is now that the Navy has been called in to airdrop one of those helicopters that puts out wildfires full of iced tea into this man's gullet. That's a start. Well, now that I'm giant, I have this irresistible urge to destroy Tokyo, so see you later. Get me a plane ticket to Japan. You heard the nurse, Larva. Let's get in there and fuck shit up. Larva's like the new age, more PC version of Maggot. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we've now covered a wide variety of conflicts, and the history of humankind is littered with more wars than anyone can count. Wars with ridiculous names like the War of Jenkins' Ear or the Korean War. Academic opinion remains divided on the importance of these wars. And it may seem silly, but recently, a forum was held to determine which war was in fact best. Here is the audio from that debate. Act 4. Debate. What is it good for? Welcome to the University of Northern Alaska's Debate Society's first meeting, put on by the History Department in order to raise our flagging attendance at student events. Tonight we will be discussing, by your request, which war is best. Here to speak are three distinguished faculty from our institution. Up first, Professor of Modern Studies, it's Dr. Hieronymus Nasher. Oh yeah, it's me, Hieronymus Nasher, your favorite professor of history, don't you know, up here at the University of Alaska. In the modern studies, we study things that are a little old, but not too old, you know, because then we wouldn't be modern studies, would we? And what war will you be presenting as the best war? The Russo-Japanese War, yeah? A little bit on the fringe of modern times, but of course, the modern era is a long one. Thank you, Dr. Nasher. Of course, for those students who don't know, Dr. Nasher is joining us on an exchange program from the Midwestern Irish Society of Learned Gentlemen. Top of the cream of we ya. Up next, giving a slightly more dated historical perspective rooted in the 1800s is professor of the 1800s, Jonathan Mr. Bottoms. Thank you. It's uh, Professor Mr. Bottoms uh, coming to you uh, directly from the dusty old 1800s. Uh, and I cannot believe we are even discussing wars from post 
1850, it's absolutely absurd. The best, most destructive wars all happened before electricity, before the electric chair, before uh, cattle prods, uh, before uh, tasers, uh, uh, now uh, disease, that's, that's a war against you in your body. You can't fight that. No one can fight diseases. I've got a counterpoint. Well, uh, gentlemen, please, let's, let's wait to start the debate until we've introduced all perspectives. Oh, I picked the Crusades, by the way. Finally, joining us to represent the field of ancient warfare, and specifically the Peloponnesian War, it is Dr. Harold Haroldson. Oh, yes, well, um, it's always been my opinion that uh, the most awful thing that you could ever do is have to carry around a lot of heavy brass and bronze shit and then get fucking stabbed to death because the motherfucker next to you drops his motherfucking... Sorry, I, I, I had some drinks before, so I'll just, I, I, I yield my time. All right, gentlemen, you're eager to get into it, and now we can begin. The wars you represent have many different elements. Of course, the Russo-Japanese War featuring a lot of naval combat, uh, the Crusades featuring a lot of crusading primarily, and, of course, the Peloponnesian War being Greek as all hell. From your perspective, what about your war is the most compelling? Well, uh, don't you know that the Russo-Japanese War is the only one that we've mentioned that's got a thing I like, a co- I like to call a bomb in it. You know, bombs which fall from the sky and then the exploding and the fire and the death and from a very, very long distance, you know. And, uh, you know, they had a bomb so big in the Russo-Japanese War, they called it the Roaring Train, which they had just invented. They had a gun so big, they fired a train out of it. And it came roaring at you from the other side and, oh, there was more mass carnage. Moving on. I want to hear, we just heard about trains being fired out of cannons. How can the Crusades compete with that? Because when I think Crusades, I think guys on horses. And when I think guys on horses, I'm less interested than I was before. Due to both religious extremism and disease, all of our fire was up close and personal, uh, which is kind of unsettling when you realize you can socially and emotionally distance yourself when you're dropping a bomb from 10,000 feet up in the air. Uh, you can't really do it when you're literally holding the hot poker to someone's nipples. Uh, so, you know, there's an element of connectivity uh, between both, you know, victim and victi- victor uh, that you don't really get in modern wars. It's a compelling point. The inhumanity of industrial warfare juxtaposed against personal combat. I, I, I just wanted to mention that there's also, there's literally a kind of fire in the Peloponnesian War called Greek fire, and I don't mean Yantis Antetokounmpo's mixtape. This was like a jelly, it was basically like old-timey napalm, but instead of dropping it on kids in Vietnam, they dropped it on kids in Greece. I, I think we can all support that. Gentlemen, gentlemen, please, our debate on whether or not Greeks are people is next week. You'll all be back here to debate that point. For now, let's get back to the wars. Now, the Russo-Japanese War had a negotiated end. The Peloponnesian War didn't. The Crusades, some say they're still going on today. Why is your war's end part of what makes it so goddamn cool and great? Well, I mean, I think as you 
mentioned, our war has kind of, uh, kind of been won, but kind of never ended. Relig religious extremism is still going strong today. Uh, you know, it's just so great to see the long-lasting power of imaginary friends. If I may ping pong off of that there point there. Yes, it is your serve. Playing off the theme of religious extremism during the Russo-Japanese War, the Russians believed that they were the last vestige of defense for the Western Christian culture against the Japanese. And of course, they got a mud hole stomped in their ass by the superior military tactics of the people of the East. So to say that religious extremism ends at the or begins or ends with the Crusades is somewhat of a fallacy. You're a fallacy. Wow, very compelling points. That's what your mom called me last night. She was slurping, <laughs> slurping my fallacy. Well, there's no need. But, gentlemen, okay. It appears our third panelist has passed out and you are both exchanging blows. Um, I think we should just end this debate here. I am legally required to give you a final statement. Uh, what is your final statement before we wrap this motherfucker up? Well, I think it's obvious the uh, Crusades uh, have easily had the longest lasting effect on the world, uh, certainly on this country, certainly on most countries. Uh, you know, nothing has spread quite like a disease like uh, Christianity. Uh, ever since the, the Crusades started going house to house, burning people with different ideas and stuff. Uh, and, you know, just, uh, I, I think its actions speak for itself. I guess you just have to decide for yourself whether you think Christianity is a, a disease. What I'm more concerned about is the rise of communism, which is partly enabled by the Russo-Japanese War, you know. The Crusades are all fine and good if you like to see a man's guts spilled by a battle axe or maybe see a man taken into a prison and have his eyelids peeled off. But I will say this. If you want to see hundreds of thousands of possibly maybe even millions because some of these people weren't even counted of people just flattened into a, into a muck that's completely unidentifiable. You know, I'm talking like this. We could, could have counted it all as one person because it was all a big pile of goo. Can't imagine being a, a mother waiting at home and hearing that my son or husband had been smushed. Into a jelly. And they bring him home to you in a jar. And you say, my God, Russia truly is a great country. Thank you, sir. This has been our debate at the University of Northern Alaska. At any day, we hope students will show up so that there will be people to attend these events. But in the meantime, we're gonna stick to it. Go Fish Guts. Does anybody know where orientation's supposed to be? I thought this was the A-Hall, but it, is this the B-Hall or? You're the A-Hall. And you're looking for the B-Hole. <laughs> That's been our show. My name is Ari Wood. This has been a production of Midnight Public Radio and the Midnight Gardeners League. 
You can find the Midnight Gardeners League online at Midnight Gardeners on Instagram, at 12am Gardeners on Twitter, and by frantically Googling Midnight Gardeners League as hard as you possibly can. We hope you'll join us in the future for more stories. Keep your ears peeled for new Midnight Public Radio programming. And remember, if you see something weird out there, record it and send it to us. Next Chapter Podcasts.